0: So good. Hey, uh, good, morning. good morning. It's good to see and to be with you guys. Caleb, we get to hang out every week uh, as the lead pastors of the four churches. We meet with Kenton, our senior pastor, and he coaches and mentors and leads us. And we just tell stories about the communities. And one of the great things is, which I'm sure you feel and know, uh, but Caleb, Loves you guys. And he is so encouraged and excited about the way he sees the gospel just being put on display through you as a church. Um, so I'm honored to be able to even see and experience that with you this morning. Uh, he asked me while he says, I'm going to be gone on vacation, you know, and I don't know if you follow him on Instagram or Facebook or anything, but all these pictures of him and Hillary and Jack right in Cabo. But then after last night, you know, he's a USC grad. And after what USC did to Stanford last night, I thought, maybe I saw him on that field swarm afterwards. Maybe he just wanted the weekend off knowing what was going to take place as SC sort of overwhelmed Stanford, and he wanted to celebrate that. Either way, uh, I'm glad to be here with you guys. Uh, A question, how many decisions do you think um, the average adult makes on a daily basis, like intentional choices? A lot. lot. That's a great answer. (laughs) A a bunch. Many. Many. Okay, so we got that out of the way. Hundreds. So here's the deal. 612. 612, like intentional, thoughtful choices that are made on a daily basis. Now, there's thousands that we make that are just responses, right? That are just intuitive sort of things that we assume. But 612, we actually choose on a daily daily basis. And culture, and even as we're growing up, it would tell us that when we make good choices, good things happen, right? I mean, from the time we've been, when we make bad choices... Bad things happen. I mean, from the time we're kids and we start shaping them, it's like, hey, every choice, every decision has a consequence, good or bad. You know, and it gives us the sense of we get to control our own destiny. If I just make good choices, good things happen. And so I just want to push pause on that for a second this morning, and we're going to consider what that really looks like in sort of this spiritual adventure. Um, Because I think we sort of feel as we get older, like, this doesn't always seem true. And so we're going to continue in this outsider's guide to Jesus as we journey through Luke. And if it's your first time here, welcome. Uh, It's my first time here too in like six months, so it's good to be with you and see you. Uh, And we're still at the beginning of Luke, so you haven't missed much. It's like the beginning of a movie or a book. You're in a great spot. Uh, last week, I know that you guys sort of dove deep into this revolutionary message and battle cry of Mary, right, which is Mary's song, The Magnificent. And, and I know Caleb unpacked that for you, and I know that you guys said yes, right? Monica and we were even celebrating that this morning about you as a community are going, yeah, I'm in to see the world look different because of who God is, whether it's food bags and tags or whatever it might be. Um, but you said yes to this, and I know that we even talked a little bit about the message and the revolutionary message that God was putting on display about using ordinary people to do this supernatural work, but today, I want to I dig deeper into the revolutionary author of that song, which is Mary's life, and I want to just stop, and I want to look at Mary clearly as somebody who got it right. I mean, she said yes, right, when God shows up and delivers this epic promise, So we would think then, well, I bet everything was amazing for her. So I think a couple things. Number one is if we're following Jesus today, uh, I believe that you're going to be incredibly encouraged by what you see and experience in Mary's yes. If you're here for the first time and you're just exploring this whole church and God and Jesus thing, I believe you're going to get a great picture of what it looks like to say yes to Jesus and why you'd even want to do that in the first place. So as we get started, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. Thank you that you speak to us as your children. You created us and you love us and you designed us. And God, not one of us is here today by accident. We may think that we showed up or just stumbled in or got dragged here perhaps, God, or maybe we show up here every week. I pray that and believe that you're going to surprise us today by what you want to say to us, what you want to remind us about who you are and who we're called to be. And we pray this in the power of your name. Amen. So if you want, you can take out your Bibles and uh, your outline. We're just going to flip and start at uh, Luke chapter 1. And we're going to look at the stories, just kind of catch up real quick on what we're talking about, a little context. Luke chapter 1, we'll start in verse 28. The angel went to her, which the her is Mary, and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, what angels always say, which is, don't be afraid. Over and over, the single greatest commandment, right, in God's word. God is clearly saying, don't be afraid of what I'm going to say to you. Don't be afraid, Mary. You've found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. Straight from the Old Testament, this epic promise That clearly Mary would have known, right? That they were all hoping for. And God is saying, it's you. And we learn right after this that Mary believes the angel. She doesn't question if it's going to happen. But she does wonder how. And so the angel kind of explains it to her. And then Mary responds, right? In verse 38, she says, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Mary says yes. And so you have this poor teenage girl, right? Living out in the middle of nowhere. And she's promised to be married to Joseph, and this angel shows up and delivers this epic promise to her about who she's going to be and that God's inviting her. In. And we know this story, right, especially in the season. I mean, even if we've never heard it, we're like, I get this. This is Christmas. I mean, it's the music that we hear. It's the decorations. It's the red cups. It's Starbucks. It's, you know, the little manger. I think I know what happens. I got this little manger set at home, and these shepherds kind of gently looking over the baby, but, but was it really as tidy and nice and sweet as we tend to think as we go through this? Because, you see, the first thing she'd have to confront is the fact that, hey, the angel's saying, you're going to have a baby. And she's like, that's awesome. Wait, it's not Joseph's. So he instantly is inviting her into this very messy situation. And I don't know that we often think about how expensive that yes was. Even though she believes what the angel says, does she really consider how expensive it was? Because she's instantly going to have to suffer public embarrassment and humiliation. The angel delivers this message to her. Who is the first people she's going to go talk to about it is? Her parents. And you see, culture then was actually way less forgiving even than culture today. So you have like an 11, 12, 13-year-old girl, right, Imagine different, delivering that message to your parents today in culture. Think about it then. Uh, mom, dad, so this angel showed up to me, and I'm pregnant, and it's not Joseph's. It's actually God's. How's that going to play? Probably not well. And then she's got to go tell who? Joseph. Think about that. We know the Bible tells us in another gospel, he didn't buy it, right? God had to show up to him in a dream because he was ready to divorce her quietly, right? Right? I'm not going to have you stoned, which would have been appropriate in that culture. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to try and divorce you quietly. God has to show up in a dream and go, wait, 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 wait. She's telling the truth. It's my baby. It's okay. And that's just, a, then you've got to live it out with society. You've got to live it out in the world around you. And in that day, it was an honor-shame culture, and she would have been living in the depths of shame. Right, She would have been totally rejected. There was no work. There were no friends for single moms in that day. Every Jewish man in the world would have just held her at arm's distance. She, would have, she didn't have a shot. So what's the first thing Mary does? You saw this last week. She goes to see Elizabeth. Why would she go to see Elizabeth? Who's the one person on the planet that might be able to have some idea of what Mary was going through? Elizabeth. Why? She was pregnant, too, by this crazy angel who showed up and declares this amazing promise about after all these years, you're going to give birth. And she's like, no way. And she believes the same thing. And so she's escaping the shame that she's living in inside. And she's going to go see the one person who might be able to offer some encouragement to her. So look what happens in Luke. This is what you looked at last week. Verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready. She hurries to this town in the hill country of Judea. Where she entered Zechariah's home and she greets Elizabeth. And then this is what Elizabeth says to Mary in verse 42. In a loud voice she exclaims, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child that you will bear. In 45, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. Elizabeth does exactly what Mary needed and wanted at that moment. She's going, oh Mary, I know, but I get it. Remember who God is. He's the one who said this. We've been holding to these promises for all these years. Look at what he said to you. He's chosen you. He's called you. You've said yes. You're carrying the Son of God. You are blessed. Encouragement. She reminds her of identity. And Mary breaks out in this song, right, the message that we looked at last week, 48. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And then at the end in 56, it says, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. And I think it probably took three months for her to reach the point where she could go and be strong enough to engage the journey that was in front of her. She probably needed to stay three months to hear Elizabeth every day go, no, 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 remember who God is. Remember what he said to you and remember who you are. So Mary returns home, but she probably didn't even realize how expensive this yes was, not just for the initial pregnancy and the shame and guilt of, of culture, but I wonder if she was thinking about how highly favored and blessed she was at nine months pregnant as she's riding on a donkey, right? Think, and giving birth in a stable with a bunch of animals around her. Favored? Blessed? I mean, where's like the five-star hotel and the limousines and stuff? Like, we should have great service here. I wonder if she was thinking that she was favored and blessed when she heard that Herod, who was king at the time, was slaughtering thousands of young male children trying to find the one that she was holding, carrying the weight of that. I wonder if she thought that she was favored and blessed as she had to escape that whole scene to Egypt with Joseph and live in a foreign country, in a foreign land, in a different culture. That's just the circumstances surrounding the birth. Let's look at a few more examples of the cost of this yes to Mary. Flip down to Luke 2, verse 25. Here, Joseph and Mary are presenting the child right at the temple. So there's a sacrifice that goes along with that, and then they're just acknowledging this gift from God. It's just part of the tradition and custom. And so they show up there, and in verse 25 it says, There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Simeon basically is rejoicing in the same thing. He's saying, God, you are faithful. You do what you say you're going to do. You keep your promises. I have seen Jesus, and now I can die. In 33, that continues, the child's father and mother, they marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them. And said to Mary, his mother. Now, this is important. Because at that day and in that culture, you would never address a woman directly that was with a man. You would always speak to her uh, through her husband. And so instantly, there's obviously some tension that's going to get created in this moment because Simeon's basically violating that custom and embarrassing Joseph and Mary publicly. But Simeon addresses Mary, and this is what he says. This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. He's basically saying, Mary, do you understand that this baby, people's reaction to him is going to reveal their hearts towards God? And that's not always going to be beautiful, because you've got to understand, Mary, what I'm saying to you is this child is a lightning rod. A lightning rod that will divide families and divide friends, that will divide countries. People will go to war over this baby because it's going to reveal their hearts towards God. And is that any different today? Our response, our reaction to Jesus reveals our heart towards God as a loving Heavenly Father. But Simeon doesn't stop there. He says at the end in 35, he says, oh, and by the way, Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul too. He's saying, you're going to suffer greatly because of this child. It's not just about nations and families and going to war and the lightning rod. He's saying, Mary, you're actually going to suffer because of this baby. And I wonder how many times Mary would reflect on that as she went through this life and this journey of raising Jesus. A sword will pierce your own soul too. Other episodes reflecting this cost of yes. Flip down just a few verses to Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Okay, so you have hundreds of people traveling, and all of a sudden they're moving out, and all of a sudden they discover, where's Jesus? He's not with us. It's sort of like the first biblical home alone. Okay? Okay? 44 thinking he was in their company they traveled on for a day what you'd notice that he's not there and you travel on for a day either way then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends so you have this massive group of people traveling they don't see Jesus they keep traveling that's not parenting 101 for those of us that know but it's like you think they'd stop and you know you can see the dialogue i thought he was with you joseph i thought he was with you and it's like we've lost the savior of the world Verse 45, when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they finally found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And that's not like in an awesome way. Like, oh, you're amazing. It's like, okay, the word astonished in Greek, they're frustrated. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? And I'm sure it's not like this with son. Why did you treat us like this? It's probably Mary with the eyebrows raised and like the mom voice. Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And in 49, Jesus says, why were you searching for me? Yeah, which is probably just as close to the sort of 12-year-old snarky Jesus as he could be. Why were you searching for me? Like maybe you've been gone for three days and we were worried about you. Didn't you look at what he says? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Now it doesn't seem like that big a deal until once again we put it in context and remember who your dad was in that culture was everything. You bore the name of your dad. You would be raised in the same traditions as your father. Joseph was a carpenter, so Jesus would have been an apprentice. That's everything. Your identity was shaped by your family, in particular your father. And so what Jesus is doing here, once again, is he's reminding them, hey, remember who my dad is. Remember, Mary. Remember, Joseph. I get that I was gone a few days, but remember who my dad is. And it would have been a startling moment for them that would have been an embarrassment in their whole culture because of what he's saying. Other examples. What are we talking about? The cost of Mary's yes. Flip down. Luke 4. Verse 16, at this point, Jesus is about 30 years old. He's beginning his ministry now. He's, he's, uh, he had been out and been tempted by Satan, right, for 40 days, and he comes back and he's baptized. And then he starts his ministry, and he starts it where we would all start it. He starts it in his hometown. So in 16, chapter 4, it says he went back to Nazareth where he had been brought up, sort of like a little high school reunion. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I mean, we read that, and we're like, yes. I mean, that's a big deal, right? For them, that's one of the epic promises they would have held to. Like the place would have gone crazy. And so what happens? Jesus rolls the scroll up. He gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And here's why. Church at that time wasn't unlike church today. Meaning somebody would have read some things from scripture. And then they would have sat down and they would have offered some commentary on it. Well, here's some things to consider that. Here's what we need to remember. Rabbi so-and-so says this. or I mean, it's just kind of like what we do today. It's what we're doing right now. So they were fastened because they're listening to what he's going to say. He began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And so at this point, it's actually like an okay thing. He's saying, here I am. It's me. And initially, they're pretty stoked. I mean, he's in his hometown. He's like, really? And there's got to be some disbelief because it's like, really? Mary, that teenage mom, Jesus, the guy who got left at the temple for three days and didn't come home, and really, okay, Joseph's son, the carpenter, all right, but I'm in. But here's what happens, it goes bad pretty quick, because Jesus picks a fight with his hometown. And here's what he says, basically that epic promise and everything, he looks at him, he says, here's the deal, it's not just for Jewish people, it's for Gentiles too. Like, it's not just for you, it's for everyone. Oh, and by the way, most of you are going to miss it which didn't go over very well. Verse 28, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, they drove him out of the town, they took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. They're furious, right? Because they feel violated. And at this point, they're declaring him a false prophet. You're lying. And so basically what they do with false prophets in that day is they would stone them. And that would happen one of two ways. They would either throw stones at people or they would throw people at stones. And so, since they lived on a cliff that was rocky, they clearly chose the second one. And they were going to throw Jesus off of this cliff onto the stones below to die and then throw rocks at him to make sure he's dead. But that doesn't happen. Why? Because he gets out there, he turns around, and he looks at all of them, and he walks right through the crowd and he leaves. Who stays behind? Mary, think about that. This whole town where you grow up in, think about how awkward it could have been that night when she went to the well to draw water. And there's a whole crowd of people going around, and they would just disperse. The whispers, the stares. Did you hear what her son did? He almost got himself killed. She's the teenage mom. Yeah, it says it's Jesus, and he's this guy who's going to deliver. The embarrassment, the stares. The humiliation, that's the town Mary is now living in because of this instant. You see the cost at his birth. You see the cost, right, when he's 12 or when he's starting his ministry. Look what happens when he's in the middle of his ministry. Luke chapter 8, verse 19. Are you starting to get a sense of this? I don't think you are, so we'll look at this one too. Luke chapter 8, verse 19. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. But they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. So that's not surprising to us if we've read the Bible, right? We know that Jesus was this incredibly polarizing but also compelling figure. So thousands of people would always crowd around to hear him. So there's this huge crowd. And Mary and and the brothers of Jesus, they're going to see him. But here's what's important to know. It's not like they want to go just like say hi and have a reunion. Mark, the Gospel of Mark tells us that they actually went to go get him because they feared for his life. They thought he was crazy. He was out of his mind. And they thought either he is going to take his own life or somebody is going to take his life for him. And so you can just see Mary as the mother of Jesus rallying these brothers one last time to go, we have to go get your brother. We have to go save him. So in verse 20, someone tells Jesus, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He replies, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. That's a very Jesus-y thing to say, right? But what's he doing? He's elevating, once again, the spiritual over the physical. It's consistent, right, with what he said all along. Remember my father's house and what I'm here to do and remember who my dad is. It's consistent, but that doesn't mean it's any less painful. We don't even know if Jesus ever went outside to see them. Here's a desperate mom showing up and dragging these brothers going, we have to go save your brother. He's going to die, and she shows up And Jesus, he makes a point and an illustration out of it. Could you imagine the pain and sadness? In that moment, worried about him. And in Luke, we don't hear a whole lot about Mary after this. But she reappears later in Jesus' life, actually at the very end of Jesus' life. And John chapter 19 records it this way. It just says, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mom. Mom showed up. And we know some things about crucifixion. We know crucifixion wasn't just about death, crucifixion was about public embarrassment and humiliation, it was about pain and about torture. And we know that Jesus' journey specifically, that he would have been whipped and beaten within a blood drop and a breath of death. That he would have been dragged and stripped naked and and asked to walk through just crowds of people as they spit on him and they yelled at him and and mocked him. That he would have been taken out and ultimately nailed to this cross and hung up and put on display for everybody to see and laugh at and yell at. That a soldier put a, a spear through his side and near that cross stood his mom. And imagine for a second you don't know the end of the story. Here is a mom in her late 40s watching her son die after all of these episodes. And do you think she wondered for a moment or thought back to the words of that angel? Greetings favored one. Do you think she thought about Elizabeth? You are blessed. Or Simeon, a sword will pierce your soul, Mary, because of this child. Have you ever thought you heard God's voice and said yes and moved into something and then all of a sudden found yourself in circumstances that didn't make sense? Have you ever said yes and walked into what God called you to walk in, whether it's a promise or a calling or a relationship or a move or a school or anything, and you walk in and all of a sudden you find yourself in the middle of this place going, did I miss here? God, because we're kind of conditioned that when we make the right choices, good things happen, and this is what I'm supposed to move at, and then all of a sudden, this doesn't make sense at all. We say the safest place to be is in the center of God's will, but the question is, who's defining safe? Is God defining safe, or are we defining safe? Because safe for us in our American Western Christianity is usually centered around comfort and a minimum of pain and sacrifice and service or humiliation or whatever it might be. We say, follow Jesus and you'll never be lonely. You'll always have community and great friends and people. We say, follow Jesus and he'll meet and provide every single need. We say, follow Jesus And he heals every disease and every sickness. And we pray desperate prayers, and real life happens, and and the world just seems to collapse around us. And all of a sudden, we're praying desperately. And we're thinking, there's either something wrong with me or there's something wrong with Jesus. Because I said yes, and this doesn't make sense anymore. And we can feel alone, we can feel forgotten, we can feel disappointed. You see, Mary said yes to Jesus. And and she endured 30 plus years of public and social embarrassment and humiliation. And grief and pain and confusing questions. That she never thought she'd have to answer. Following Jesus often raises way more questions than it gives answers for. Following Jesus, you will become well acquainted, the Bible says, with grief. And with sadness and with sorrow. And with pain. I mean, the first thing that this baby Jesus did was invite two teenagers to suffer public embarrassment and humiliation and shame to participate in what God was doing in the world in ushering in this kingdom of good. Do you think he still does that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I gotta believe in a room like this, There's some of you sitting here wondering, did I miss here, God? And you're just living in an expensive yes. And you're just looking for a flicker of light and a crumb of grace, a shred of hope to cling to, to walk forward in. It's an expensive yes. For me, um, Lots of different ways this shows up in my life. One of the most profound that I've been walking through now for the past four years has been a journey that God invited my wife and I into uh, to adopt. And God, we have three kids of our own, two boys and a girl, and, and I was done, and, and she wasn't. She wanted to have another kid, and I never... So then finally I put adoption on the table, and she got mad at me because it's like, what? You, we can't have our own kids. And it's just for even the journey to say that was so confusing for us. But finally, it was like, okay, God's speaking to us. Let's say yes. We'll move at this. The first thing we did is we partnered with this organization called Safe Families, which partners local churches with the county. So instead of putting kids uh, whose families are in crisis into the the foster care system, basically, you get pre-approved to just take them into your house for days or weeks to allow the family to sort of heal and get back on its feet. So we said yes to that, and we ended up with two girls, not one in our house. So all of a sudden, we went from three to five kids. And it was a big jump, as you can imagine. And not only it was supposed to be about three weeks, but three weeks turned into a month, and then it turned into two months, and it ended up being over three months. Over the holidays, so Thanksgiving and Christmas, both the girls had birthdays. Two of my kids had birthdays in the same season. It was crazy. We found out there were siblings out there that we didn't even know existed. and So we had to learn to love and invest in this whole family, not just these two girls. And it was messy, and it was hard. And there were moments that my wife and I thought we were going to die or we were going to kill each other. <laughs> but we make it through. And we get to the other side and we look and we go, well, was that it? Is that what God called us to? And we're both like, no, I don't think so. And I said, okay, we're going to keep walking in the yes then until God says no. No. And so we kept moving, and we finally got approved for adoption, and that was over a year ago. And we got approved, and then you're just waiting, right? And the phone's going to ring, and what's going to happen? And for, like, a year, nothing. Just crickets. And we're like, really, God? Like, it's not easy to go through this whole story and this whole journey and take these classes. And we're we're ready, and we're moving at it, and we're getting our family and our, our house and our kids all ready for this, and then nothing? So finally I realized and went, okay. It's not about whether we ever end up with a child or not. The bottom line is we did our part. We walked in the yes. We did our journey. And within about a month of saying that, we got a phone call. And they said, hey, we have this, this cute little almost three-year-old girl that we think would be perfect for your house. So we sort of walk that story out. We end up and we go look at her story, which is a binder about this thick at three years old. And you can imagine, it's painful and messy. You don't end up in a foster care system because you have a great family. But even in the midst of all that and saying yes to that story, we didn't have a no, so we said okay. So she's been with us now about six weeks, seven weeks. And here's the surprise to me, the cost of yes is not what I thought it would be. I anticipated the cost of that yes would be her being able to trust me and to trust us as parents or as a family. I thought it would be attachment issues or issues maybe with her fitting in with our kids and all that stuff. And I've got to tell you, it's unbelievable what God's done. Like none of that ever existed. She just came in and is a part of it. The cost of yes that I realized, it's my own own heart. And my own willingness to fully love and fully invest in this little girl who may not actually ever stay with us. Because they're working and writing a reunification story with her parents. And so very early on as I saw that happening, I started to pull away and kind of guard my heart and sort of prepare for the, oh, I can't fully lean in. And God's like, you don't get to do that. I'm calling you, and you said yes to fully loving and fully investing in this little girl and, by the way, her whole family. I don't care if it's going to create some pain or some tension for you on the other side of this because it's not about your own comfort, Kyle. It's not about keeping you safe in your terms and in your world. The cost of yes was so much different than I anticipated. So why do we say yes? Why did Mary say yes? I think with Mary, the clue's at the very beginning. And the first one is she believed. Mary believed. She believed that God was faithful, that he would fulfill his promises. And we have the benefit of knowing that the story doesn't end with Jesus on a cross. You see, we know that three days later, he was resurrected, he comes back to life, and he puts on display this power that overwhelms evil, therefore it overwhelms the, the sadness and the grief and the sorrow, and it gives us a strength and a way to move through even the most difficult circumstances of yes. Yes. And so after Jesus is resurrected, we know that he appears to hundreds of people over the course of about 40 days. And then he rallies his followers and he says, listen, I'm leaving, I'm going back to heaven, but I'm going to leave you with this incredible gift called the Holy Spirit, which is better than me because it can live inside every single one of you and every single person that chooses to say yes forever. And it will give you strength and comfort and peace and wisdom and guide you into everything you need to sustain and walk through the pain of this world. And here's what's beautiful about that. In Acts 1, verse 12, after Jesus leaves, it says, all the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter and John and James and Andrew. and It just lists all the disciples. And in 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and... Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. She believed, and apparently even rising from the dead will convince your own family, his brothers. You see, Mary was there the day that the angel shows up as a teenager and says, favored one, I have a dream, a promise for you. She was there when Elizabeth pronounced blessing over her. She was there when they presented Jesus at the temple and Simeon said, a sword will pierce your own soul, Mary, because of who this child is. She was there when he started his ministry and when she tried to go save him from crowds killing him. She was there when he was crucified and died. And she was there at the birth of the church and this movement that was bear his name for all time. She was there because she said yes. And I believe in that moment she just smiled and said, ah, it's worth it. God is faithful to fulfill his promises. God is faithful. She may answer differently lots of other days, but that day she said, yes, it's absolutely worth it. Two things I believe we learned from Mary. One, there is a cost, and it is expensive to saying yes and following Jesus. And two... It is totally worth it. It may not be worth it in three days or in 30 days or in three months or even in 30 years or a lifetime, but it is worth it because you get to walk with the Savior of the world every day, giving you exactly what you need to sustain through anything. You see, because the no is expensive, too. I mean, there's a cost to following Jesus, but there's a huge cost to not. There's a cost to forgiveness, but there's a cost to not forgiving and to holding on to bitterness and resentment. There's a cost to generosity and giving, but there's a huge cost to greed. There's a cost to purity, but there's a huge cost to immorality. There's a cost, and we pay it one way or another. Do you want to pay it alone or do you want to pay it walking with the Savior of the world who overwhelmed death and will walk you through whatever circumstance and whatever pain and whatever desperation you have to walk through in this lifetime? Let me pray for us this morning. If you would just close your eyes. I believe that some of us this morning are living in that very expensive no. And maybe for the first time, God's speaking to you in a way that you're just kind of turning a corner to saying yes. That you don't want to do life alone anymore, but you want to do it with the gift and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe some of you this morning are, are living in a very expensive yes and you are walking in and with Jesus but you are in a season that feels so overwhelming and so desperate and so crushing and you're facing obstacles that you feel like you have no idea how you're going to get through. This morning I just want to pray for you if you're in one of those two groups. And there's something I know about this church and community, and that is that you guys are courageous in the way that you live out your faith with God and with one another. And so if you are living in that expensive no or you are in that desperate yes, I'm going to invite you, if you would, to just stand where you're at so I can pray for you. If you are by one of these folks that's standing, whether you came with them or whether you didn't, would you just stand next to them, stand with them, put your hand on their shoulder just to let them know they are not alone. Father, this morning we gather as your kids that you created and designed uniquely and passionately and purposefully. And you see your children standing in desperation for you, God, that are living in an expensive season, whether it's a no or a yes. And God, I pray that they would feel the hands of the people around them as a physical representation of you walking with them. That they would feel the power of your spirit and your strength. That you would give them the wisdom and the hope and the light and the peace to continue walking and pursuing you. To know that you are a God who is faithful, that you will fulfill the promises that you have given them, the dreams and the hopes, God. We love you and we pray this in the power of your name, Jesus. Amen. Would you all stand and let's just respond.